Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Crocodile Dundee. An American reporter goes to the Australian outback to meet an eccentric crocodile poacher and invites him to New York City. What is this movie? I don't know. And that feels so weird, especially given the fact that this was on a heavy rental rotation for me and my brother as children. How? <laughs> okay, so this movie is not good. It's just not. It starts out of nowhere. It ends out of nowhere. And it just takes too long to get to its point. And the meat, the meat is the fish out of water when he goes to New York. I think that those scenes are so fun and captivating that that's what kept coming back. I mean, that's what gets spoofed all the time is those like literally 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, I would go so far as to say like 10 or 15. It's very, very small chunks of the film. And it is. But those, to be fair, like that sequence is so satisfying. It is. It is very satisfying. So I feel like those moments are what kept us coming back to it. I don't even know. Like, this movie is not good. This is purportedly a comedy. That, yeah. That's not funny. It's a little funny, but it is not funny. It's a romance that has no chemistry. Yeah. And it's a drama There's drama in there, too. Weirdly, lots of it. Yeah. Man, this is a case of a whole bunch of people who got their got their skis way out in front of them. Mm -hmm. And it's made all the worse by what a fucking runaway hit this movie was. Wait, I know. I, I knew it was very successful. I feel like this is one of those ones my parents probably saw in the theater. I need to tell you these numbers. Oh, God. Okay. Its budget was $8.8 million. That's $24 million in today's money. For a movie made out of Australia, that's a pretty big chunk, but it's not a lot. Yeah, like No, that seems pretty on par with like a romantic comedy type film. It made $8 million in its opening weekend. Okay. Which is shocking. I mean, what else opened that weekend? Probably not a lot. It grossed in the U.S., one hundred and seventy-five million dollars in eighties money, in eighties dollars. That's four hundred and eighty million in today's Shit. money. Shit. Globally, yeah. it grossed three hundred and twenty-eight million, or about nine hundred million dollars. But yeah, it was the second biggest hit of nineteen eighty-six. Mm -hmm. Second only to a little movie called. Top Gun. Oh, shit. That's amazing. <laughs> I love this so much. You love it? I love I that don't. fact. I love that fact. I think that's hilarious. If it was a good movie, I would love it. I, but instead, it's so boring. It's not It's not good. And it's It's not good for many reasons, which we'll get into. Uh, okay. <laughs> this, that's, wow. Okay. Collectively, what was going on in 1986? Were we that starved for entertainment? Yes. yes, David. Look at the last few films we watched. I. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that weekend it was up against The Name of the Rose. Okay. 
The Boy Who Could Fly. Okay. And Half Moon Street. I don't know what any of those movies were. Uh. So, yeah. Damn, there was nothing. There was nothing. That's cool. Well, it hit the tail end of uh, of summer season, too, because it came out in September. Oh, okay. So somehow they just fit the niche exactly right. And I don't know if the marketing was what hit, but my God, what a... Let me, let me put you here. This movie was only $2 million off of Top Gun's U.S. gross. That's crazy. And this movie's so bad. It's not good. How did we collectively lose our fucking shit about this? I I mean, it just happened. (sighs) Was a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our writing. Okay. We have three writers. The first one is Mr. Paul Hogan. Before this, he wrote a whole bunch of Australian comedy, sketch comedy and the like. And after this... Crocodile Dundee 2, Almost an Angel, and Lightning Jack. Okay. We then have two other guys who just worked with Paul. Mm-hmm. We have Ken Shady, who did a random assortment of Australian stuff, then worked with Paul Hogan, then never did another thing after this. Mm. And John Cornell, who worked closely with Paul doing his comedy, and then produced this Crocodile Dundee 2 and Almost an Angel, uh... In the Australian version, he was only credited as script editor, but he apparently wrote this movie. So now that we know about this, what do we think of the writing? Oh, the writing's where we have a problem. Like, that's our biggest problem above anything else. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the concept, great. Writer finds out about this guy who lives kind of unusual life, and... Like, she goes to, like, live life with him. And then, like, once that portion of is over, I'm going to take him to New York. So I'm going to make a bigger deal of this. Okay, cool. Whatever. But we spend so long in Australia really not doing anything. Like, a few things happen. But I feel like the order of this story is so ridiculous. 30 minutes are spent in the outback. Like, I feel like how she comes about him is backwards. I feel like she should have been there to study the Aborigines, to, like, interview and do a story on the Aborigines. And then through that, she figures, she she sees this white dude hanging out with him and being like, what's up with that dude? Oh, what's his story? I want to find out about him, too. And then we start that process. And then then she goes back to work. You know, she's written the story. More people want to know about this guy because it blows up. And then you bring him to New York. And then New York, you can have some crazy and some weird. And then you have to write like some like way more things to actually happen to like create this love story. Like they have to go have interviews together and like all that stuff. And then it like just fuels the love story more. And then it becomes like, do we stay here or do we go there? And then we can have like the cute, like, I want to be with you anywhere type moment. That would have been better. Yeah. We, we need a redo. Can we have a remake, please? It's a whole bunch of story bits. Yes, but like the connective tissue does not exist. <laughs> with no connecting moments. But you know what? For a guy no. whose background is in sketch comedy, that tracks. Oh, no, no, no. It absolutely makes sense. But here's the problem, too is that it could be a series of sketches and still be 
far more entertaining than what we got because the humor is nearly non-existent Mm -hmm. because there's no timing to any of the bits. Mm -hmm. Except for the, I don't know, two or three most iconic moments. Mm -hmm. Literally everything else is just so fucking humorless. Mm -hmm. It's not funny. It's just a long walk for a very tiniest of sips of water. Like, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. You made a uh, very Australian metaphor there, if you will. This isn't my first day. I just... It's not good. There's nothing. There's nothing in this script. I guess the hijinks were enough to hold my attention as a child. But as an adult, I can see it blows. Well, Hogan had no anticipation of this being a hit movie, quote, I thought I was making a little nice little comedy movie for Australia. Oh. I mean, fair, this could have gone straight to video and I'd have been fine. And also, here's the thing. You could have, you know, tightened all of this up or you could have made the first movie all about her discovering this guy in Australia and the poaching and all of that stuff and mm. just had one movie of her in the outback and then made the second one about him coming to New York. Uh, holy shit, wouldn't that be great? No. Eh. You gotta have the out of water thing for it to be the entry because that's the other part is like half of her story is her being in a place that she doesn't know how to navigate. And then she takes him to her place and he's like, I don't know how to navigate this. And you've got to have the juxtaposition for the drama, but it should also be for the funny. And we don't get enough of either of those. Well, according to Paul, on his first trip to New York, he really did walk around saying g'day to everyone. That's just funny. And because he felt like a fish out of water and everyone thought he was Scottish, he supposedly came up with the idea for this movie. Hmm. That supposedly is saying a lot. Okay. Because he has and continues to insist that Crocodile Dundee was completely made up on his own. Okay. And it's pretty clear that that's not true. Oh. We need to tell the story. Of Rod Ansel. Okay. Upon lots of different reporting and uh, digging in, Rod Ansel was a famous bushman in Australia and a pure inspiration for the character, down to the fact that multiple details of his life are straight up lifted for this story. Mm. Ansel became famous in 1977 when his boat capsized during a hunting expedition and he spent two months trapped in the wilderness. He drank cow blood, slept with snakes, and occasionally had to fight and decapitate crocodiles. During an interview with the BBC, which he purportedly showed up to barefoot, which was common for him, uh, he mentioned that the hotel they'd put him in was pretty nice, but he decided he'd sleep on the floor instead. Okay. And that is what cued Mr. Paul Hogan to start writing this story. Over time, the legend grew. The interviews got more and more exaggerated from Ansel. When, in fact, Ansel was actually a croc poacher. He was out there poaching for bodies and shit. Mm. Ansel didn't see any money from the film, and he really didn't think anything of it when the movie came out. All he did was he went to Paul Hogan and said, hey, look, can I call myself the real Crocodile Dundee? Mm-hmm. So he wasn't trying to claim credit in the story or like rights. He just said, well, you know, I've got the story to tell. Let me do that. Hogan. And his legal team not only told him to cease and desist, but then threatened to sue him. Mm. Ansel apparently spiraled because he could not get 
the rights to this own stuff. And I mean, down to like the bidet, that was apparently a thing that they reported on in the hotel. Mm-hmm. He wound up deep into drugs and then killed a police officer in a shootout in the late 90s and they shot him dead as he was running through the woods barefoot outside of his home. It is considered that because of his constant exclusion, he very likely started to spiral. Wow, that's awful. Paul Hogan, not a good dude. Don't love it. Hogan has consistently and completely refuted any of these claims, but mm-hmm. you know, when the details line up that easy, it's pretty clear you took something from it. You could have thrown the guy a bone. Mm-hmm. Like literally all he had to do was just let him do this tour as the real crocodile, don't they? Mm-hmm. No one would have cared. Yeah. Uh, Especially when you made how much fucking money off of this movie? Yeah, that's... I don't love it. Because make no mistake, this is his movie. Mm -hmm. He's the main producer on this. He's getting all of the money from this shit. Well, he was set up for life at that point. Right? Wow. Okay. All right, let's talk about our director. Mm -hmm. A guy named Peter Feynman. Before this, he directed a bunch of comedy specials and concert shows. After this, he directed the movie Dutch and 26 episodes of a Nat Geo show. Okay. What do we think of the directing of this movie? I mean, the direction doesn't have to be anything special. It's fine. It's an 80s comedy. He directed an 80s comedy. Yeah. I mean, someone who could direct actors a little bit more might have been good. Particularly the guy who plays the boyfriend. Like, he's awful. Mm. They're all pretty bad. Yeah, but I mean, that probably could have helped the movie. But again, the the writing is bad. That's the killer. He, he made an 80s movie. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. You did the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to our cast. Yeah. There's not a whole lot out there about this, mm-hmm. except the really horrible, deep, nasty taste in your mouth story. Sure. We start with Mr. Paul Hogan as Mick Crocodile Dundee. Before this, he started off as an Aussie comedy figure. And after this, he was in Crocodile Dundee 2, Almost an Angel, Lightning Jack, Flipper, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, Charlie and Boots, That's Not My Dog, and the very excellent Mr. Dundee. What do we think of Paul Hogan in this movie? Uh, He he only has one card to play, and that's the accent, and just looking befuddled. Like, that's it. That's his one play. And his him being out in the bush is fun. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that it was not as much of a stereotype of a character as you expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Like, he really dug into the idea of a Bushman. True. And he plays that both for its strengths and then its fish-out-of-water comedy quality. So he had the right idea of the realism of that. Mm -hmm. And like, he gets that. But then the writing just makes it so boring Mm -hmm. (laughs) to watch. Because again, he's not playing up a trope, which like I said, that's fine. But then your writing has to match that. Mm -hmm. If you're not just going to play him as a zany cartoon character, which is all you gave this script, just little bits and chunks, then if you want to make him realistic and you want to make him like a, a actual example of what life is like out there in Australia, then you need to give a little bit more heft to your goddamn script. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. It's one of those situations where I think he had the right idea as a character. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I think the writing just kills any chance of making it worthwhile. Yeah. Ugh. And you're a gross person. Yeah. Then we have Linda Kozlowski as Sue Charlton. Before this, she was in the 1985 Death of a Salesman for TV. And after this, Crocodile Dundee 2, Almost an Angel, Zorn, Village of the Damned, and Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. This movie did lead to a real-life romance because she and Paul Hogan married in 1990. Hmm. Played love interests on camera, got married four years later. What do we think of Linda Kozlowski in this movie? She's fine. She's fine, but boy, do they not have any on-screen chemistry whatsoever. Yeah, they're just, they don't know what to do. And I think if they had better dialogue, that would work. Because, you know, like, they have moments that are really good. Like, when she, like, comes into the hotel room while he's bathing and she pretends to be <laughs> the the maid. Yes. <laughs> like, that's adorable. But, like, where was that energy, like, after they established, like, oh, we can be friends and, like, we, like, we're cool. Like, where was that back in Australia? And she just casually makes out with him without thinking about hmm i have a boyfriend Mm -hmm. there's no conflict in that and i'm not saying like that that's not to say like she shouldn't be able to make out with whoever she wants to Mm -hmm. but you should at least see a moment of her being like am i conflicted about this yeah or am i not and instead there's nothing she's just like i'm just gonna make out with this guy now oh there's my boyfriend i'm gonna kiss all up on him right now I'm going to go do... There's no motivation. Yeah. That's my biggest problem. At no point am I like, so you're now in love with him? When did that happen? Yeah. Do you just find him sexy? Do you, and, and, you know, it's it's the whole thing of, as the movie goes on, the motivation just gets less and less clear as things go on. Uh, well, while in the Northern Territory, she was the only American on set. That's kind of cool. That is the only piece of trivia I have. And that leads us to Arpons, because there's nobody else of any importance in this movie in a big role. Yeah, sure. We only have a few Arpons. We have John Mayon as Walter Riley. He is the older guy working with the safaris in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great, well-known Australian actor who appeared in both of the Dundee movies and the Australian classics Walkabout and Wait and Fright. Mm-hmm. We have David Gulpalil. As Neville Bell, our very interesting Aboriginal gentleman. Mm-hmm. It's a very good bit. I'm sorry. That it was is. one of the very funny bits. Yeah. Oh, I hate the bush. How does he find his way in the dark? He thinks his way. A lot of people believe that they're telepathic. Oh, Lord, I hate the bush. Yeah, like him muttering to himself is hilarious. Pulls his Rolex up. Yep. So funny. Um, He is a Yongle actor of the First Nations of Australia. He's been in a ton of movies. We talked about him in The Right Stuff. He's one of the guys who's out in Australia while John Glenn is orbiting. Mm-hmm. If there's a movie set in and around Australia, he's probably been in it. Okay. And being one of the most famous tribal dancers in Australia, he actually choreographs the dance we see in the movie. Oh, very cool. Reginald Vell Johnson as Gus, mm-hmm. the limo driver. All right. He's there. Yep. And finally, 
not seen in the film, cut out unfortunately, in a small role as a girl in Central Park who got a cut healed on her knee by Mick. Melissa Joan Hart was in this movie. Aww. Yeah. That's cool. She got cut out in the end, but you know. Mm. All right. Awards. <laughs> awards? Awards. Wow. Okay. Brace yourself. Oh, no. This movie was nominated for one Academy Award. What? For Best Original Screenplay. Paul Hogan is an Oscar-nominated writer? Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm very conflicted. <laughs> on the one hand, this is a great fuck the Academy forever moment, and we can laugh about it. And on the other hand, this movie? I mean... We've talked about a lot of movies that we were like, that's terrible, and how could the Academy do this? I don't know. Is this the worst one? The movie with literally nothing happening in it? Yeah. It only got nominated because it's so Australian and unique. Yeah. From a white dude. But you know, if we didn't have this, we really wouldn't have gotten Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter. We wouldn't have. Oh, for the love of God. You know we wouldn't. We would not. (sighs) Man, you are stretching hard. And I believe you. But no, but like he did not come on the scene. I just looked it up. I was like, okay, when did that happen? He showed up with his show, started in 1991. God damn it. Uh huh. You know, like we would not, we wouldn't, like I 100 believe that Steve Irwin would have become famous regardless, but we would not have been primed for his personality without this movie. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to like have fun with it as easily if we didn't have this movie so you know what worth it this multi-millionaire white dickhead Mm -hmm. is the only reason we got the majesty of the crocodile hunter Mm -hmm. fuck yeah anyway this might be the worst nomination in oscars history i'm just saying it's not it's up on the list no, the Green Book being nominated for Best Picture is the worst nomination in its No, no, Green Book winning Best Picture. But you have to get nominated first. <laughs> that, that's, where the, that's where a series of decisions being made is bad. <laughs> All right, trivia. Trivia. The cast and crew slept in huts near a miner's camp while shooting in the outback. Okay. Australian pop legends in excess invested in the film as an Australian tax dodge. That's cool. However, due to the runaway success, they made a ton of money and also provided the song A Different World for the soundtrack. Cool. This is right before they like blew up, blew up. And they were already a big deal. In Australia, yeah. Ah, even here. They had some radio hits in the early eighties. But it wasn't until like eighty seven, eighty eight when they like had the massive hits. Mm. Quotes were placed around the crocodile in the title to ensure Americans didn't think that he was an actual crocodile. I understand this problem. Never change, Hollywood. No. Never change. I mean, do, but always assume people are going to be dumb. In order to pacify the buffalo in the Northern Territory, they drugged it. Okay. Ah! I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. The Bowie knife had steel, rubber, and aluminum versions for set safety. Hogan reportedly kept one of the steel knives and promised never to sell it. That's kind of cool. And at the beginning, we see the Sydney Harbor Bridge from Sue's hotel window. Before he ever got started in acting, Paul Hogan was a painter on the Sydney Bridge, reportedly keeping his co-workers laughing during the entire time. 
That's cool. And that leads us to ratings. For every movie, we have a specific rating system. For this movie, I don't even need to say it. I'm just going to let Crocodile Dundee say it. That's not a knife. That's a knife. <sighs> okay, this is my this is my movie. This is so bad. I don't oh. Okay, oh, hey, I'm going to give it a 1. A 1. For all for just cuz those when those scenes in New York they're classic. They're hilarious. They're so fun. We just needed more of that. And we needed a real writer to come in and be like, okay, you've got beats to a story. We got to make it work. We got to make it work. Like the acting is not awful. It's not fabulous, but their script is horrible. If they had an amazing script, they'd be fine. Very like middle of the road 80s performances. But that's okay. This film doesn't demand anything more. It's a one. It's a one. Uh, it's it's one it's one Bowie knife. Also, we should really throw out there real great casual transphobia. Oh, we don't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's super bad. And like, not in the way of just like, oh, that's a thing that happened. No, no, no. Like a running bit. Yeah, it becomes a running bit. <sighs> yeah, it's bad. But regardless, it's just it's such a slog. Like. I, I cannot believe a movie like this could be this boring mm -hmm. because this should, again, this should either be a total screwball fish out of water comedy mm -hmm. or if you really wanted to make it more of this interesting thing, then it needed to be a lot more nuanced and balanced and like probably we should have spent half the time in Australia and half the time in New York and done a lot more writing in between. Yeah. But instead, it's just a literal fucking pile of mess on the floor. Yeah. And also, like, she should have had way more, like, fish out of water issues when she was in Australia. Like, I, I get the whole, like, well, she's a journalist and she travels. So, like, she's probably really adaptable. But that doesn't mean that she's not going to run into things that she's never experienced and been like, whoa, how do I deal with this? It just comes down to... That there are at least three or four different ways to make this movie that would make it successful, and you chose the absolute worst idea. Yeah. Which is not to make a decision. <laughs> we need we need a redo. We need a redo. Well, they've talked about it for a long time, but Good. I don't think it's happening. Anyway, mad at you, Paul Hogan. Mad at you for making me sit through this. Agreed. But now, let's go to another one of the most iconic 80s movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Because I will not be denied, Dan. Oh, yeah. I... We're watching Fatal Attraction. Ah, uh, yes. I, yeah, I've never seen this. Never seen it? And there's there's a TV series coming out with two people I love doing this story, so I'm very interested. Look, I am tentatively worried about this because I, I know of this director. I've never watched his movies, but I know of him, and I know he can get real weird. All right, well, until next time. Have a good movie.